Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Geekscape Book Club. Very excited to be here again for another fun-filled month of talking comics. I am Christian Blatt, joined by the one, the only Count Eric Connor himself. He's not actually a count, it's a social media, but uh, he does know how to count. I'm in the process. We'll say, you know, <laughs> yeah. within a couple of years, you're going to be talking yeah. very differently to me, Christian. We'll be, ta- we'll be talking about 20 issues of something, and I know you can get that far, and that's good enough. And uh, so excited to have with us as well our pal, uh, Caitlin Cornell. Kate, thank you for being here with us. I love being here. So uh, we are talking about uh, there are many different ways in which one can consume Sandman. I have this volume which uh, has a little Netflix uh, sticker on it. Uh, This is the, but what we're focusing on is issues one through 20 of what is Sandman volume two, but it is the, the original Neil Gaiman run. Uh, So that's what we're focusing on. And in case this is your first interaction with the Geekscape book club, the premise is simple. It's an examination, an in-depth conversation about well-known beloved comic runs and arcs that for whatever reason we have not read. And as I was reading this, I started to figure out why I hadn't read it because these were originally published at the beginning in 1989. And if I had read these when I was 13 and 14, actively buying many, many comic books, uh, it would have one gone over my head a lot. And uh, I, it would have been a lot of like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know? So uh, just as a, you know, just as an angry teen, which uh, I'm sure many in our audience can uh, can relate with but reading it now as an adult there is that feeling that i so often get when we do this as uh oh man how did i go so long without reading this because uh, uh it's it's so incredibly well done the stories are so varied we're going to get into uh, a lot of the different kinds of storytelling they do but the inspiration for doing it was the netflix series which i was just telling eric and kate that I did watch a few episodes of, but as I was reading this for this show, I stopped watching it because there were too many times where I was like, oh, okay, I've seen this uh, on TV and I wanted to experience the the stories unfolding for the first time. But uh, Kate's got us covered. She's done both. Eric, have you watched much or all of Sandman the, on Netflix? I mean, zero. I, and I okay. think what happened too, I, I, 
you had talked about us reading this around the time that I was thinking of watching it. And, and same thing. I was yeah. like, you know, what? I'm going to I really want to separate the two and, you know, and then kind of give myself to also enjoy the experience of watching a, an mm -hmm. adaptation of a property. I know. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be diving into Sandman, I think, starting this week, the TV show. Yeah. And that was the interesting thing uh, for me, Kate, was to actually start reading it. You realize what a great adaptation it was. There were some uh, a number of limitations that we'll we'll get on, but uh, specifically the uh, the episode in the diner, which uh, really yeah. stood out for a lot of reasons. And you're like, oh yeah, they just they just kind of took it, they put it up on the screen, definitely updated it in a number of ways. Yeah. But uh, I uh, so what uh, did uh, now? Had you read these uh, any of these or part of these previously, Kate? I did. I hadn't read them all at once because I would, you know, oh, yes, I should go back to Sandman or I should, you know, you know, I, I, I love Neil Gaiman's writing. I'm a huge yep. Neil Gaiman fan as in, in terms of his short stories in particular. I love his short stories. And everyone was like, you should read the Sandman. You should read the Sandman. But it was before I got into comic books when they were telling me that. And I was like, oh, that feels like a lot. <laughs> and uh, I so I, I definitely started the Sandman a couple of times. So the first section where the Sandman is captured, um, I'd read a couple different times and then watching the show, having Charles dance do it was like, okay, like they nailed the casting of all of those people and they nailed the kind of like tone of it. But what was interesting about the show as opposed to the, the, the comic and reading it kind of sitting down and reading it all at once and like kind of going, going through the story without stopping in a way I did take breaks um, was how I felt like I got more out of the Sandman as a character than, than, and I'm not saying that Tom Sturridge wasn't the right casting because he was, but I felt at some moments that like there were moments about the brutality of losing dreams in the first few, few issues that weren't quite portrayed on screen that I was like, you know, like, especially like you follow those four kids growing up with in the, and the waking dreaming and sure, the consequences yeah. of not having dreams. Whereas in the show, it's more in the diner episode where they go into the consequences of not having any dreams with just these people that you're watching kind of erode in front of you. But I, 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 reading that it that was what stuck out to me this time were all of the details that weren't in the show that were like oh that's what made this not more special or better it was just different and interesting so yeah there was in, room for in, in the series it's like a, a line of narration where they kind yeah. of explain like you know yeah people stopped dreaming and you know went into hospitals they called it like the dream sickness or i can't remember or the one that became homeless and then woke up yeah. in the street and started crying but then the woman yeah. who was assaulted and raped and the first thing she says was my baby i dreamt i had a baby and you just see her crying yeah. it's like wow like that was such a powerful moment i had to i'm tearing up right now i had to i had to put the book down for a second yeah and i mean this is and that show is like what like the fact that they didn't do that in the show i mean i don't know i think they there were certain things that are like certain thematic themes or certain that they, they, the show didn't really want to go toward. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I got more of the Sandman as a character because I was, I could be more in his head. I don't know who the protagonist was. 
in the show. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, there were, you know, obviously there's only so much you can get up on the screen, but uh, in terms of the, the specifically what you're talking about, Kate, it was impressive at how really heavy a lot of this was. And yeah. the fact that this was a monthly comic book from a major publisher, it was under the Vertigo imprint. So it was like, yeah, this is for grownups. But still, I mean, the fact that DC put this out and what you would get from month to month, you know, it's not it's not the way that like superhero comics tell stories where it's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see what happens next. You're like. Right now, for our visual listeners, we have one of the stars of uh, Sandman, a, a cat. So, <laughs> but that's actually the issue I was going to re recommend. So the cat realized that was uh, just like you know, imagine picking this book up as individual issues, and you get the cat one. The the what was it? The Night of a Thousand Cats. Night of a Thousand Cats, which is fascinating. And and uh, Kate, you let me know that they uh, they did do that as an episode of the series, and. Um, but it was like a bonus episode yeah. that dropped after the initial batch. And it's just, um, it's interesting, you know, because it's very risky to do that, especially, you know, uh, to just be comfortable enough with your creator and the content that enough people will be back after you do an entire issue about cats. Uh, as you read through all of this, Eric, what were some of your thoughts, some of the things that stood out in terms of how varied the storytelling really was in these 20 issues? Well, you just brought up something that I, it's funny. I was thinking about a very similar thing when I was reading, especially the first few issues. That idea of like having a, a lot of faith in an audience and trust in an audience that they'll keep coming back. Like, I mean, how many issues was the Sandman trapped? Was it two, Probably three? Four. Like, I'm trying to remember exactly how long he was kind of in that, whatever. Was I got that, it, like Christian. Bubble. Uh, look at that. Who's faster on the draw? Uh, but even that alone, the idea of like taking its time with like having us kind of feel that sense of like eternity, you know, that was something I really enjoyed in, in reading all this at once was the idea of like playing with time like how long or slow something felt. There's even a, a image early on when one of his captors was like, I shouldn't have had to get so old. And it's just like him tearing up. And this is a guy who's not a, a likable character. It was two issues of him trapped. Two okay. issues. Yeah. So right there, the Imperfect first two issues. And... Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Imperfect host. And I think dream a little dream is what the episode was called. Episode. Yeah. Okay. The the right. That's what those issues were. But finish your thought, Eric. Yeah. So that idea of like the way time kind of was woven in, like time is a character in this. Uh, death is a character too, of course. But really helping us feel what it meant to kind of be in this world where time seemed like instantaneous and yet went on forever. Uh, yeah. And I, I once heard. Um, I think Reginald Hudlin, uh, who's a filmmaker producer, he was a producer on Django Unchained. He talked about like memory spans are it's something about Hollywood. He's like, memory spans are not short. They're long and yeah. people remember things forever. And, and I was thinking about that quote a little bit when I was his was a cautionary tale. Be nice to people in Hollywood because yeah. memory spans are long. Um, yeah, sure. But when I was reading this, I kept thinking about that, the idea of dreams, memories, like how 
sometimes your most mundane things enter your dreams and how hard it is to capture dreams. I, you know, how rare is it that I see a film, a TV show, read a book that feels like a dream that we've actually had. And yet I thought Sandman throughout this, the way dreams were handled. I mean, they ran the gamut, of course. I was like, wow, that might be the neatest trick of all is storytelling wise, like to make me feel like I actually feel these dreams and they don't feel like just, uh, you know, with all due peace and love, Twin Peaks, maybe one of my favorite shows of all time. I've yet to have a dream with a dancing dwarf. Try as I might. But still these time. Dreams, still I, well, time. They, hey, listen, I'm going to take a nap <laughs> later today. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> maybe my saying it out loud will make it happen. But uh, yeah. yeah, this was Let I can't know. believe I went 40 years without reading this. Well, I guess it wasn't around 40 years, but I went to this. Age no, but it's been around for it. more than 30. So, that, you know, and. You know, you have to give credit to DC. I mean, Neil Gaiman is established because of this. Not that he hadn't worked mm. before this, but to just be like, yeah, do whatever you want. You know, do with the concept of Sam. And the most interesting thing to me about the book is, of course, something that the show couldn't really be. And I was shocked at how much a part of the DC universe this was. The references to the Justice Mm -hmm. League, appearances of actual characters. Now, this book had John Constantine show up, which is obviously a very popular character uh, in multiple iterations. Uh, Instead, in the series, they had a relative of his, uh, played by Jenna Coleman, uh, who fans of uh, Doctor Who know well as Clara. And uh, I believe she also played uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, for multiple seasons. Uh, So it was just, it was really the same story. Uh, They just had a different Constantine. But so because of that, obviously the Netflix show wasn't going to, you know, involve the DC universe, but the amount of characters who showed up along the way. And one of the reasons I wanted to make sure that uh, Eric uh, got to issue 20 in here was the really self-contained story about Urania Blackwell, who was a character uh, named element girl, not a major DC character, but basically what happens to these characters that you don't see again when they get old and then can't die, but then want to. And I was like, no, they didn't turn over, you know, Supergirl, but it was still like, yeah, go ahead. And, take one of our characters and have them want to die and have them die in the end, you know, and really just sort of focus. It's, it's an interesting thing, this idea about, you know, immortals, we've seen it before with vampires and, uh, you know, other uh, undead characters that just at a certain point, they don't want to live anymore. And sometimes uh, they, they can't die. And then I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, death actually, even though it wasn't Urania Blackwell's time, uh, helped her, you know? What did you think sort of, uh, now is that, was that something that they had uh, on the TV show, some variation on that story, Kate? I honestly can't remember, and I just watched it. I was more obsessed yeah. with the cat episode, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, from what I remember of the show, and I, after the diner episode, I do admit I bounced around. So, mm-hmm. um. I don't remember. No, it's okay. I, 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 but even if they did, 
it wouldn't have been this DC character because, no. you know, having an what offshoot of the did, Constantine family is, is something they can do, but they weren't going to be able to put John I, Constantine in the show. I will say that in the Constantine episode, there is a moment, and I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Sure. There is a moment in the John Constantine episode that was very emotionally powerful that involved letting someone go. Yeah. And and the idea of, you know, dreaming to keep people alive in a way. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. And and uh, also a, a story equally as well told uh, in the comic book version. The, yes. the one with, with actual John Constantine as opposed to, I actually don't remember which member of the Constantine family, uh, Clara, uh, her name's not Clara, Jenna Coleman played. Um, what did you think uh, going through this Eric, uh, I had no expectation of this being even remotely part of the DC universe. So I was very surprised that, <clears throat> you know, there were uh, appearances and references. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, I think one of your images uh, dealt with this. Uh, what, what were yeah, your thoughts yeah. as, as you were reading and this came came along for you? Yeah, the, uh, like Arkham shows up at one point, too. And yeah, yeah they know, spent and they spend a they spend a lot of time, time in Arkham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I thought that was great. And it, and it found a way to sort of name check it without getting kind of tethered to it. So that idea that on the periphery of all this, you have Sandman, you have Dream, uh, you know, and I thought that it was smart. And I, you, you brought up Vertigo before. Uh, I Was this like the first title in the Vertigo imprint? Like, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's a good question. It, it, I, I know it that imprint right around was the new. launch of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, even like a brief moment. So, yeah, of he needs he Lantern. needs his his stone, which is a major plot point in the first few episodes of the television series. But what he's not going to be able to do is uh, go look for the Justice League. But uh, right. there it was. You know, we didn't actually see them in the content of the stories, but via flashback, you see Batman and Green Lantern having gotten the uh the stone at some point you know so these right. items having actually you know tying into past dc stories i thought I, I just thought it was really interesting and you know i'm not familiar with much in the way of dc history at all so these are not stories that i knew but i'm like oh that's really cool the way that it's it's woven in there you know and, and, and uh, neil gaiman smart too yeah, yeah. oh god what were we gonna say kate neil gaiman is inspired a lot by the bat by batman in particular um, mm -hmm. And there was a particular mm -hmm. writer of Batman uh, early, early on in like the 60s era when it started to change that he was really inspired by. And he actually has a few poems dedicated to Batman and to, you know, the idea of Batman. So it didn't surprise me when he showed up because of how much Batman is a huge character in Neil Gaiman's uh, artistic upbringing and that writer in particular. And yeah. I thought Constantine especially that issue was one of my very favorites and I agree. And it yeah. didn't feel just like fan service, you know, which would have been fan yeah. service before fan service was really a thing. Was that thing? It, yeah. yeah. Did Neil it, Gaiman it, invent fan service? <laughs> let's let's yeah, say but, he did. Let's yeah, but I mean, it's did. like he, you know, he didn't put, well, he didn't use that opportunity to put in Batman. You know what I mean? He used John Constantine, right, right, right. obviously incredibly well-known character, but he's not, you know, he's not, his face isn't on the building, you know, at DC right. or Warner brothers, right, you right, know? Right. I, I, so I, I think that uh, 
it was it was impressive the way that they were able to weave in and out of some of these things. Uh, we've referenced it a few times, and uh, I do want to focus on the unique nature how maybe not always issue to issue, but story to story, you were getting things completely different. Uh, let's talk about the the cat issue and the cat episode, Kate. And you know, Yay! if your feline friend wants to return, um, I just think <laughs> it's such. He's, he's inc- not. He's not. Yeah, he, he's he's not going anywhere now. He's yeah. being a cat. He's dr- he's dreaming. Yeah, he's turning his back on you, and yep, uh, he's embracing right. his dreams. <laughs> um, give us your thoughts on on sort of both versions of uh, of all things feline in in relation to the Sandman. I mean, I think what the Sandman does really, really well, especially in later issues, because I feel like they are allowed to do more play. So, like the first, I think I'm going to say it: the first twelve ish um at least the first 10 kind of have a same visual tone and then after afterwards they're allowed to like bring in like you know other times and other and uh, like they go back and they you know it's like the playing house section is a little bit more like neon and the cat episode is one of those episodes where it's episodes issues whatever we're calling them now (laughs) it's all right i don't know um where it's it's they switch visual tone very quickly and it fits and it works so it's like it's not it's it's because the Sandman can be many different dreams or many different things or people dream different things. They felt free to pick a visual medium and pick a storytelling medium that matched what they wanted to tell because they thought it was interesting and fun and not that it had to fit or not. And they did the same in the Netflix show when by, by making it animated. And they chose a voice cast that was Fallen. It was just that, so much that's fun. The, the cat episode. Is... The cat episode oh, in the Netflix great. show is animated, and that is awesome. So oh, they actually gosh. go back to, in a way, they kind of go back to the comic book of just like that's it, just moving now, but it's very like, you know, it's 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 they 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 kind of tipped a hat to where they came from, and then they also went like, but it's moving now, and we get to do other things. And then I would what I was also going to say is I think DC if they produce this as a show, I think Netflix was the right call to produce this show. Um, because I don't think DC would go as far into how weird it is now and how like, you know, it's, you know, it's, a this is a lot of different things. Um, and Netflix is kind of like, cool, we're down to clown. Let's go. Um, yeah. even though there's a, there's a, it kind of Netflix shows kind of tend to look the same, but every, every brand, every property has a brand. So like, but I feel like Netflix was willing to be like, oh yeah, we're going to have a cat episode and we're going to go into a diner for an episode and, and we're going to like devolve humanity. And then we're going to have John Constantine show up or John Constantine. Cool. Let's go. Or is that, you know? Yeah, no. And I, I think that, uh, you know, just being able to tell those kind of stories and it is interesting. I think that, you know, some of the issues, I think the different visual style is because, you know, Anybody who's read monthly comics, just sometimes you have a different artist because somebody couldn't yeah. make a deadline somewhere along the way. And, uh, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of fill-ins, you know, come in and bring a different uh, tone to it. But right. uh, what do you think about specifically, Eric, taking the time to tell the story about cats? And I know we're really focusing on it because look, it's, it's so much you guys. It's so much more entertaining than the film cats that i think it's important that we talk about this issue that uh, featured cats well it's funny you bring up it's animated because that was my 
biggest criticism of Cats the musical, the movie musical, is yeah. that it, it should have been animated. Like I, it should have. If you guys, I don't know if you ever read Mrs. Was it Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nim that got adapted into Secrets yeah. of Nim? Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Some stories just are not meant to be live action, and no. Uh, and uh, and the cat issue was fabulous. I I'm, I apologize. I want of all the times for Fezzik not to come in and join the yeah, conversation no, to start barking at the the cat yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's like of all times he has his one so like, and yet where is he? He's asleep, dreaming of chasing after cats. Any members of delivery service folk who come around here, um, or the poodle who, I don't know. They don't like each other. I don't know what happened between them. Long and short of it is, I think, like, yeah, this is a narrative that is so bold. And the fact that it is a bit serialized, a bit procedural, a bit anthology, a bit continuous. And it, it like, issue to itch, issue to issue, it really kind of like the tune would change, the tone would change. You yeah. know, you felt like it was like movements of a symphony at times into a rock opera, back into a symphony. Uh, like I, I don't know if this is a really old reference. Apologies, um, but the Hitchhiker was this anthology on HBO. On HBO, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. And and that one, it's funny because in some ways, like I was reminded of that because you know, Dream was like that. Sandman's he's hitchhiking. Like that. He is <laughs> he right. And he's is though. From story to story. Sometimes yeah. he gets directly involved. Sometimes he stays back, like the Watcher, and. And I thought, like, that's a really cool thing. And you brought this up before, Kate, the idea of by the nature of this idea, the story engine it's built means it could go anywhere. It can go into a cat's mind and it doesn't feel weird. That's a, 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 the great thing about the cat issue. I, I never sat there and went, oh, it's a freaking cat. Rather, I was like, no, I was into the characters of the cat and that lovely payoff at the end, which is something we yeah. all could relate to anyone who's had a pet is, you know, yeah. what are they dreaming of? And yeah. it's a pretty good stab. Um, and, and so I think, like, that's what's really so smart about this. Is and I feel that like that's enabled... where it came from. Yeah. Wait, go, no, go you're ahead. right. So... No, 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 I interrupted you. I was a, I was the yeah, asshole. Was a... No, um... never, never. <laughs> hey, we're all assholes. That's why we're here. No, no but I it was like, Christian, no, but, like, I love, like, Eric gets me so excited to talk about story engines. Like, I can't, like, I can't even, like, every engine time. Away. No, but it's that idea of, like, but it's like, it's like, I wonder if, like, Neil, I just picture that, that issue being, like, starting to be written. And it's like, Neil Gaiman just, like, looked over. It's like, what are you dreaming about? Yeah. What are you doing? He and, was, like, making it the weird. different story. And then he's looking at yeah. the cat and like, oh, wait, hold on. This like, that story is much more interesting because that's a mystery. And in a way, like, dreams are mysteries of, like, what are they doing in their head? Like, what are they doing to comfort themselves? Or is it scary? Or is it terrifying? Or is it, you right. know, guilty? Like, is it a way to process emotions that you're not allowed to process in a way in this very fantastical, safe realm? And how many times have I think... seen my dog run a little <laughs> bit while he's dreaming? <laughs> or like and, kick, and, like and, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like barking a little. He's like, <laughs> and then and the funny part is, I when I, I'll, I'll at sometimes I'm like, is is this a dream? Is it a stroke? Is it a young dog? I don't think so. But sometimes I've gone over and I pet him, and he doesn't wake up with a shock. That's the weird thing. He'll just sort of look at me, and he'll kind of put his head back down and and be calm. 
So almost yeah. as if like I rescued him, but he expected me to rescue him or something. Right. Or it's just me feeling like that. Yeah, you know, give myself a god complex. Right. Right. He's right. like, like, no, that's did... the relationship. Yeah, I get in trouble. Yeah. You save me. Everything's fine. Yeah. Which and I, I, I and I'm gonna I, reward I, you by eating something valuable of yours, like a pen <laughs> or an old Star your, Wars figure. Your Hulk Hogan action figure. That guy, uh, there's a reason he's on the top shelf. There's a reason he's up high. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I think you know, really spending the time and telling stories like that, having the freedom, you know, to do it. Uh, it's great. I, I think um, one of the things that really stood out to me in terms of reading it in the context of when it came out, obviously it's, uh, you know, our society's fascination with serial killers is nothing new. Uh, it, uh, you know, Netflix seems to uh, have really cornered the market uh, in the last couple of years and a, a few very high profile properties. Reading the storyline about the the interesting wordplay of the cereal convention, which was spelled like breakfast cereal. I was yeah. just like, this is such a like crazy idea. But then he also goes in and he comes up with backstories for all these serial killers that are not you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, this is based on this real serial killer. Oh, this guy seems just like Hannibal Lecter, who did exist by this point uh, in a couple of novels. But, yep. and just, you know, just living in that world, that very uncomfortable, dark world for a little while. And uh, it's just sort of, it's interesting because there's the exchange, uh, you know, the the young girl, well, she's not that young, she's the young woman's name, Rose, who ends up caught in caught up, you know, basically one of the, one of the guys uh, come breaks into a room and she, she had Morpheus save her, but it's interesting because it's, and as her companion references who, you know, ended up being a place in the dreamscape, which I thought was sort of an interesting, uh, you know, uh, way to transpose what the character was from what we saw. The idea that, he can help you. He is someone that he, he has a sense of, of right. There's some goodness to him, but it comes at a price, you know, and sort of revisiting it later, just the decision that it's like, well, there's a dream vortex. And then I, I I'm going to kill you. I saved you this time, but you know, you're going to see me again and it's not going to be great, you know? And in both the comic and in both the, you know, the TV show, he does help Constantine, either Constantine sort of with someone that's important to them. Uh, so there are moments where we can see. Right. And what I'm sort of wondering is the relationship, you know, the idea that uh, there is a price to be paid. And in some cases, we don't see that. Like we haven't, at least me, I still haven't read the payoff of the, you know, the original 75 some odd issues. Um I wanted to ask you, Kate, your thoughts sort of on Dream as sort of this, you know, yes, he's a god, essentially, he's the ruler of his realm, but it's not beneath him to stop what he sees as being wrong at times, you know? Right. What do you think sort of about that very complex storytelling, you know, of of it's it's so far removed from good versus evil, Kate? I think... I'm, if if you'll allow me, I, I'm going to start with a, a slight tangent because you brought up serial killers and it will, I promise it will lead back to your question in the end. But coming out of the 80s, we were getting a lot of slasher movies and 
in the 70s and early 80s, that was when a lot of the kind of like serial killing was at its I mean, we're still getting, but but they were at their high point. That's when we got John Wayne Gacy and and, and Jeffrey Dahmer and and you know the Golden State Killer and all these things. And yeah, I mean, Ted was, Bundy was kind of the the first, you the know, first like big. You know, there there had they of course had existed before then, even you know in the recent decades. But that was like the the first time the media like latched on to latched yeah, on to something. Like, yeah, when yeah. the press like fed off that basically. Right. Exactly. But also it it affected the stories that we told. And, you know, I wasn't alive at this point. But what I noticed looking back at the at these stories in these times is it was a, you know, direct response to, you know, this idea of um, Americana and American safety. Like, you know, death is scary and don't go out at night. And, um, you know, all of, like drugs are bad. Sex is bad. You know, those are the things that in horror movies, you know, these these things lead to a slasher getting you and, and somebody killing you. Um, you know, don't go out late at night. And then you get like the kind of like, oh, my God, is someone following me type of, of story? And it, I think for me, it culminated, especially related to the Sandman in Freddy Krueger's story, because yeah. Freddy Krueger attacks you in your dreams. And so this idea that of Freddy Krueger as at its core it's not don't go out. It's not don't have sex. It's not don't do drugs. It's not don't go on the wrong side of the tracks. It's don't dream because they're not going to come true. Um, which coming out of the 60s Americana and after the Great War, like uh, these kind of like this ripple effect of, you know, how America was turning at the time. And it was don't dream was the was the, the thesis statement of Freddy Krueger. And I think what Neil Gaiman did coming out of that is he saw that and went, no dreams are what keep us going like dreams are the thesis statement of being a human being and so to to not name morpheus as a god to not name him that and to call him one of the endless the endless things of humanity that will never ever change that are not good or bad they are death is a part of the endless time is a part of the endless dreaming is a part of the endless desire is a part of the endless these personifications of these tropes that for the entirety of the 80s and late 70s have been almost demonized um, by the storytelling that was happening of of it's and he's his thesis statement is they just are these things and they can get involved or they can sit back or they can you know ignore you or they can ha they have their own ebb and flows of their own emotions because it's not necessarily binary it just is. And so I think that is the thesis statement of the Sandman. And I hope that that wrapped that up in no, a nice little no, bow. No, that does. That's... I mean, there there is the parallel of the idea of, of Freddy Krueger being, you know, look, if, it, you know, if you stay out of one town in Illinois, Michael Myers isn't going to get you. Uh, up until he takes a ferry and goes to Manhattan, Jason Voorhees isn't going to get you unless you're at Camp Crystal Lake. But Freddy Krueger, it was like, yeah, if you fall asleep, uh, he's going to find you. So, you know, and it, every, and it was the every town has an Elm Street, as he said, yeah. and I believe yeah. the second one. You're yeah, right. He does. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. is also this idea of like uh, in that particular horror story of the sins of the parents are visited on the children. Yeah. 
So it's yeah. like it passes. Like it's not he's visiting horror on the people who wronged him. It's the kids. So it's like it's it's a very generational. Like if you look at we could I could talk about Freddy Krueger a lot, but like like if you look at Freddy Krueger as a a thesis statement for America of like we're passing things to our kids and not allowing them to dream of the future. Yeah, I think that uh, you know they they are very different figures you know i mean freddie is really basically you know out there for his own vengeance you know Mm -hmm. uh but the the sandman it's you know morpheus is really you know this is just the being that he is but he's lived long enough that he he has a heart i guess and you know you said something interesting kate the uh you know the importance in when he goes down to hell uh, in both the episode of the television show and the issue of the comic book, the, uh, the he's able to prevail because nothing is stronger than hope. You know, like you can, you can try and keep hope down, but if it, if it still burns, it's going to, you know, you can't get any of these other negative feelings to take away from it. So he, I think has that. You know, that right. at this point, we don't quite know how long this being's been around, but thousands of years or, or give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sort of back to the the earlier point, Kate, I'm wondering your thoughts about Morpheus as oh, the no. Sandman, you know, in terms of he's not a hero, but by no means is this character a villain. You know, I mean, his sister. Yeah, probably. But yeah. him, uh, I don't think he is, you know. No. And I think that we of all of the of the endless that we meet and they did this in the show and they did this in the comic he's kind of the one on the most of a mission like like he kind of is like i of all of the ones he's the one that's like oh i have a nine to five or a 24 to 24 like right. he's like i'm working all the time in terms of like making sure people have you know yeah he's he's he an on-call doctor he's, he's an, an on-call, on-call doctor yeah an on-call doctor. doctor and that beeper never stops going off nope and it's just like and so what was what was funny about for me like the whole like when he's trapped episode it's like i gotta get back to work because you know if i'm not working yeah. the whole world is going to crap and and so for me i think it's it's because he's so mission oriented and then he kind of gets in a way distracted by the fun of the adventure of getting his three objects back and then when he gets them back he's like oh i have to go back to work now yeah <laughs> i have to like rebuild my castle yeah, yeah. which i do uh, think i, I go ahead. uh eric and christian i had a question for you we actually see in the the first episode of the show what the castle used to look like it's one of the first images that you really yeah. see. And then at the end of the episode, you see what it has become after he's returned after 70 odd years in prison. And I thought in the comic book, they didn't show you what it looked like before. And yeah. they just showed you yeah, the yeah. kind of degradation and erosion. And you only see it when it, it appears in his hand in this in the third issue of like out of sand. It kind of comes up and you see what it used to be with Lucian. And I thought that the comic book was stronger to not show everything, to not have a bookend moment. Um, And you just see how much of what had been lost based on the sand Morpheus's reaction alone. And you see more of what, what, what the consequences were based on, you know, 
him dealing with his almost he's taking on his own failure and I thought that was a more interesting choice than some of the choices they made in the show by allowing us to see too many things. And did you guys have any thoughts about that? Well, Erica, why don't I let you uh, jump in first? And sure. Then I'll share Wait, and obviously, I haven't I haven't watched the show yet. But it, one thing that was really, you know, interesting about the narrative of the first few issues is like you start late. You know, this is a classic like trope, even in yeah. sci-fi, is like. Science fiction, oftentimes, you you kind of, like good science fiction. You oftentimes start in Act Three, in a larger story. Think like Star Wars: New Hope. Uh, think Star Trek. Like in essence, stuff's been going on a while, and yeah. we catch up to it late in the game. And so here, like he's been sort of brought back, captured. So yeah, not really knowing his powers for quite a while. Like those first two issues, like. I know of the Sandman. I, uh, you know, even if I hadn't read this, I, I mean, Sandman's been a, kind of a pop icon figure for a few decades now. The show comes out. So, yeah, it's like, in essence, like I had a sense of it, but reading the issues somewhat blind, like what was great about it was not really knowing his powers for a bit, not really knowing his story. And I loved how he would have to try to put things back to normal and how his like minions were off doing stuff because he wasn't around. How a right. guy could call other. himself the Sandman by the yeah. basis of the fact that no one was stopping him. And it, it it gets into one of those themes I'm always fascinated about, you know, and it deals with faith, but deals with the idea of nobody's watching us, then it's on us how we behave. And so right. the idea is like Sandman is not a god, but by his not being there, people left to their own devices well they're better angels did not prevail for certain so no i like that they kind of hold back on the reveals because we are then new to it and feeling the impact on him right. Sorry, yeah please. i think it's it's the conventions of the different medium of storytelling but also the the times you know as we we're talking as you're realizing this story is so old that it predates metallica's enter sandman uh, you know, by a couple of years. Uh, so it's, you know, so it, it's, uh, it's a very different sort of storytelling. And I think that, you know, a streaming episodic, you know, like the metrics they look for are people continuing to watch and do they watch the show and, you know, comic books being sales based back in the day, it's a similar thing, but I feel like they were comfortable taking more risks. I think that, how many it's it, the episodes were, there were like 10 episodes and then they did two extras or, yes. or yeah. So I think you had to get him out of his prison at the end of the first episode, you know, uh, whereas in the comic book, you could spend a little bit more time. I think if they had tried to do like six issues where, you know, he's not getting out, uh, you know, I think people would really kind of be looking for something else, but I, I think that that's why they chose to kind of give us, I, I, I think you're right though, Kate, that not showing us what it was at the beginning. Uh, I think it's, it's more of a payoff when you actually get to see it, you know, uh, you know, then the case could be made that you don't ever get to see it until he actually maybe rebuilds it, but then that's, right. you know, so far off. But I, I think that, uh, you know, it is a really interesting character and we see so many different sides of him, you know, when you know the there's the story that's sort of the uh, Shakespeare story is an offshoot of the guy that he meets up with every hundred years, the guy who yeah. can't die. I thought mm -hmm. that was a great that's a great standalone story, you know, and 
this sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's not really an anthology series, but it sort of jumps around in a way, you know, and that's why I think, you know, Neil Gaiman is responsible for a couple of uh, particularly memorable uh, episodes of Doctor Who, which he grew up as a fan of, because what Eric was saying earlier, that is a show where a lot of times you're like, did I miss something? There's yeah, I- what's going, you know, who are these people? What are we in the middle of? And, oh, okay. It, it's just what this is. And I think that uh, he appreciates that kind of storytelling of just like, hey, we'll get to some of this other stuff before. This is just what's happening now. And, you know, I think that uh, there are some threads that go through here. But like you said, Kate, you kind of bounced around the series a little bit. You could do that with these issues if you knew where stories started and began. You right. Know, if you picked up the trade paperbacks, not these massive one through 20, but some of the earlier editions that had only seven or 10, you could read them in a different order and not feel lost, I don't think. you know. Right. So I think uh, they do play with time a little bit in that way. Uh, but it's... Uh, I don't know. But I they mean, do they do pay off right. things though. I mean that that's one thing though. Like yeah. some of the characters that you think might just be sort of passing references in an early issue come back up and have a significant arc in the later ones. Uh, you know, and I think like that's a neat sleight of hand too, where it's like anything at any point could return. So in essence, it does give a little bit of extra heft to all the storylines when you know like the guy from a hundred years ago can return his one sort of human friend. That's oh. right. And, and uh, <laughs> one, go ahead. Uh, this was one of the images that uh, Eric shared with me for our visual audience. Uh, Irving, the, uh, and then he gets I, well, yelled at. He, he's not supposed yeah. to be called Irving. Like they need a G or something. Right. Wasn't yeah, that? The... Every gargoyle has a G name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Well, I, I like that. I'm named after an Irving. So when I saw that. Oh, oh okay. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. My grandfather. But to me, was that Irving, was a perfect so. example of, you know, side characters that oh, yeah. we get to, we get to visit with, you know, it's a, it's a very, it, I was gonna say it's a very rich world. Obviously there's multiple worlds and realms, but this world of storytelling that we, reside in whether we're reading Sandman or watching it. I mean, there are some truly really interesting and different characters and situations that uh, I don't know. I mean, it's so inventive, Uh, you know, reading a little bit about sort of the publication and behind the scenes stuff uh, that Neil Gaiman said, as he went along, it got harder for him to write the stories. It took much longer, you know, so it got so that it would take him sometimes Mm -hmm. six weeks, which for a monthly book that becomes problematic down the road when it takes you six weeks to write an issue. Yeah. Uh, So there's something about the end of that section that I feel like actually having no other characters involved in this and like the endless and you want to go into like this, the Morpheus and stuff, but actually the end of that, uh, thing that you just posted is probably like the base of where that why the Sandman is so lasting, and it's this when he's talking to Goldie, which is he thinks of as Irving because he has to name it a G thing because his brother, you know, Kane is going to kill him, and it's yeah. this idea of like, and I'll read a section of it. It's a secret story. It's a story of two brothers, and they uh they loved each other very much, and they were always nice to each other. And the elder brother would never hurt the younger brother. Never. And they lived together in the same house. And they were they were very happy. I'm sorry. 
I wasn't. I'm I'm not crying. I'm really not crying. It's only blood, the little brother. It's only blood. And it's like the amount of of writing of the hope of that. It's it's hope, but you know it's not true. And you're and it's like that's the heartbreaking thing about about dreaming and that's the heartbreaking thing about most of these stories is you're wishing for a different outcome that doesn't exist. Yeah. And in a way that's why dreams are so difficult and that's why Morpheus is such a sad character. Because at at one point you have to wake up. And <laughs> I think yeah. that's like I think that's why Morpheus as a character to tie it back into an earlier question is so fascinating because he's seen so many things that are true and aren't true and both of them exist. So it's not even a binary of things that are real and not real because it's like, that was real. You were dreaming and you were also like not in the real world. And it's like, you're, you're, you're living in a place where anything is possible, but nothing is real. Yeah. And uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, we get some, you know, oh, that's truly, great. truly uh, varied visuals. Uh, Eric, for our audio audience, uh, explain what we're looking at uh, here for uh, this. This is a this is the representation of hell, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And it was when uh, Dream had the I guess you call it the battle of wits. The, this yeah, basically the, the rap battle. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. It's eight. He went eight mile. Yeah, he went eight, eight, eight mile. Eight yeah. mile. <laughs> eight mile under. Um, I guess would be the title. <laughs> and and so like the idea of like occasionally too like this thing would remind you it's a comic book, if that yeah. makes sense. Because like at t- a lot of times when you read this, this thing is dense. There's a lot yeah. to it. I mean, it name checks Shakespeare left and right. Shakespeare even shows up as a character at one point. But then occasionally be like, oh, yeah, there's ghouls and monsters and demons and whatnot. But they're, they tend to be kind of on the periphery. Um, right. and, and even there, I love when they showed up during the performance of Midsummer Night's Dream, that like the yeah. audience is the same crowd of demons and whatnot. And meanwhile, you have Shakespearean actors doing their thing and they would look out and that's the audience. So, yeah, no, I think like under lesser hands, it would feel goofy. Uh, under lesser hands the tone of that would destroy the tone of what else they're it, doing but right yeah Neil Gaiman, man. you don't <laughs> do it carefully it'll feel like early episodes of quantum leap when scott bacula yeah. teaches michael jackson how to do the moon- moonwalk and yes that's oh. a real thing that really happened <laughs> as long as you don't teach him anything else i suppose yeah <laughs> i mean Yikes. the moonwalk came from a 1930s well, Artist. and James James Brown used to do almost all that shit too. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I know, but so but, know, but Scott Bakula took all of them. When you, when your time travel involves famous figures, it's it, it can you know you got to be really careful yeah. is what I'm getting at. Unless and, you're Blackadder, and then you can just do whatever you want. Well, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> That's absolutely. Oh, I was gonna, by the way, I was going to name Go check. Uh, I don't know if this can come up. One of my favorite lines from the whole series was about okay. Abel. Abel, I love that. That. that was one that you couple, sent me, right? Yeah, Abel had been dead for yeah. a couple of hours now. But he's starting to he feel starting better. Starting to feel better. Yeah. I, I think like some moments like that where you just have this beautiful wit that would kind of sneak in there and all of a sudden like hit you. So That's yeah, there was a, great a lot of great description lines. of Neil Gaiman's writing as a whole. Um, yeah. For for any audience that wants to get more into Neil Gaiman. Um, 
I highly, highly recommend some of his short stories. I know American Gods is a very lengthy, it, some of the stuff that's turned into series are very lengthy things, but as a, as a, as a reader, like start with some of his short stories, start with chivalry, start with click clack, the rattle bags, like start with some of the shorter offerings that Neil Gaiman does. Cause you'll get that beautiful wit that Eric is talking about so eloquently. And, and it's very realistic things in a, and then you, and you see the story start to twist and you can, and you're watching the twist happen as opposed to like, we're in a twisted world already. But it's like, you see, it's like, it starts very normal. Like, you know, uh, chivalry starts with a woman in a, in a, in a vintage and an antique store, basically. And she finds the Holy Grail, but she already <laughs> knew what it was. And she right. bought it for like 60 pence. And then she also bought like a rag magazine and it was like, you see, and then like somebody comes to, to get the Holy Grail from her, but you see the story start to like a little bit. And it's, he, he's allowed more so in, in these books, especially, but also in his short stories. So I highly recommend Neil Gaiman. I found another line I was a huge fan of, and I think I sent this to you as well, Christian. Um, When we had, uh, yes, the creepy guy at the diner, I, I just blanked his name. Uh, but when he what are you waiting yeah. for oh you know the usual the end of the world and yeah like the the meaning of that and that's the last uh that's the that's the last panel of the issue yeah and you know like when he says that and of course that leads to maybe one of the best issues of any comic i have ever read in my life right. which was the diner the diner I, yeah. I and i'm i cannot wait to watch that episode because it sounds like they, they did it just lift your lid so yeah yeah, that Holy that crap. was that that was, you know, the the decision to to stop watching while I was reading, because seeing that it was incredibly well done. And I don't think it took away from reading it. But no. I was just like, I feel like I'm going to experience surprise in the way I want to if I continue reading the comics first. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 episode stands out. But then also that issue, you know, when people are when you're basically taking sort of the mundane every person the facts of their life there's always something interesting there you go far enough beneath the surface you know i mean there have definitely been stories that have been similar to that before uh i mean you know there's a 22 short uh short films about springfield episode of the simpsons you know that was like about all the minor characters that was uh far less gruesome than this but it it really sort of in a very different way, it, it, it sheds a light on like, you know, there's a lot going on. The, no one is really what they seem good or bad, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, it's some really in-depth and, you know, I can't imagine uh, how any of this would have connected with me as, as a teen, you know, reading comics at the time. So um, I'm very glad that uh, we had this occasion to read all of this. And thank you. A lot of what we've read before, I've wanted to continue reading, but I feel like after I finish the series, I'll be hard pressed to not read more, at least of this original run. You know, uh, there there's a lot that follows that, you know, I might not be as interested in, but I do kind of want to see some of these payoffs that might not even be represented uh, right. on the screen. And uh, Eric, I'll be interested in chatting with you at some point uh once you've actually watched the series so I even though too. this show even though this show uh focuses this geekscape book club 
we'll be talking about different books, but maybe we'll revisit Sandman uh, along the way. And I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Kate? No, I, I was, I want to, I want to talk to Eric too. Cause honestly, like, can I shout out Eric slightly? Eric is one as of as long the, as you Eric, shout me out as well. It's I fine. will, but I love <laughs> in my way. Well, like I always tell you that you kind of changed my life, Christian, but um, and put me on this yeah, path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, my wife tells me that all the time, but she doesn't mean it in a favorable way at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> you trapped me here <laughs> with two beautiful children. No, it basically she feels like she feels like dream. She can only exist in this one little <laughs> tiny circle for 80 years. And then uh, at some point, at she'll some point, I'll, yeah, she'll accidentally be able to get out. <laughs> but I'm sorry. What were you going to say about Mr. Oh, but your up also a lovely human. <laughs> but it's so nice to talk. I would be so interested um, having, you know, you not watching the show and watching the Sandman and you're so articulate about screenwriting and, and, Aww. and, and, and a storytelling in general. And, you know, um, I, I'm so interested in your thoughts on how this translated and what the show brought that the comic did not and, and vice versa and like how they did, because I was at the Comic-Con panel with, I remember you and you spoke, spoke to him video. and yeah. I got to ask him a question. And I was just like, I actually, I sent the video to Christian earlier and I was just like, I actually don't remember what he said because I like blacked out for 30 seconds. I've done whole interviews with people that I'm so, you know, I'm like a little bit enamored by that. I'm like, I don't remember anything yeah. they said. I have to go back and watch it, you know. And <laughs> but... what he told me, Eric, and I think you might find this interesting. My question was along the lines of um, what uh, I told him he inspired me to be a screenwriter and he found that really sweet. But then he, I also asked him. This was written 30 years ago. And what is the responsibility you feel as a creator to stick with what you wrote that made you popular and what was, you know, what people love about the Sandman versus how you're growing as an artist and how we're growing in the times that we're living. And what he told me, I thought was very, I think you'd find it very interesting, which was it's more about trusting this young 28 year old Neil Gaiman that he knew what he was doing back then. Right. And it was like at the core, like, yes, they gender bended some of the characters and they had to take out the justice league and they had to like do some like little switches, but it's like Lucifer was always androgynous to him. And it's like that. And you just have an androgynous casting and that, that worked for him. Mm -hmm. um, Lucian that the base of the character is what was played, even though it doesn't look the same. But I, I, I was amazing of just like, us as as writers and people who want to tell stories people who talk about stories it's like we tr we have to trust what we're telling what we're saying even when we grow past yeah. it and i thought that was fascinating also the fact that he was 28 when he wrote this i know <laughs> fuck yeah. that guy now i hate <laughs> this <laughs> yeah i know now i hate every page of this oh, I know. Uh, yeah there's yeah, there, there's like uh, when when you're younger, people like Neil Gaiman and Orson Welles, you're like, oh, good for them. They did it when they were young. And you're like, oh, no. no. <laughs> and then you go I, past their age. Like, yeah. I'm 32. Uh, when you and that, I'm just yeah. like, oh, no. I mean, uh, go oh, ahead. Eric. Okay. Well, no, well, I was just going to say, like... Eric, you can you can relate <laughs> to me that we got to an age where uh there are no professional athletes that are our age anymore you know it, yeah. within the last 10 years it's still one or two still... field goal kickers maybe yeah. get close to us yeah or... no they're they're yeah like jamie moyer was older than me at one point for baseball fans and then yeah. uh you know once those guys retired you're like well 
maybe there's a couple coaches my age, you know. Yeah. I mean, and then they're considered out of touch with their young yeah, players. Re- well, definitely. Um, and uh, but what was your what was the relevant point you were going to make? Not that one. <laughs> well, first of all, Kate was always too kind. And, and as I read this too, and I knew you were doing the book club, I'm like, yes, because I, I it's like to do this book club without you would feel like we had cheated on you. Um, oh, intellectually well right? every we time we do a show without kate i feel like we're cheating on her so you know I right feel, yeah. um so and sorry. and so i was thinking about the like what you just brought up okay so i read alan moore who alan moore seems uh maybe a he little... seems like he seems like a lot of fun oh, oh yeah, yeah. A great guy to hang out with oh one of my favorite quotes with... from, from uh, Saturday Night live ever was rosanna rosanna dana played by the wonderful gilda radner and she reads yeah. a letter like they are Rosanna, from Rosanna, Mr. Rosanna. Richard Fader from Fort Lee, right. New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> yes. First of all, I got this. I got eczema and I got gas. First of all, you sound like a real attractive guy. That's what <laughs> I was thinking about with Alan Moore. It's like, man, he sounds like a fucking party. Yeah. That guy. And yet, I mean, obviously the Watchmen, one of these great pieces, the adaptation that was just done a couple of years ago, I thought was For one HBO, of the most, you mean? Yeah. Holy yeah, moly. Yeah. So daring and bold and timely. And I'm watched that during COVID. It was really like yeah. that summer, 2020. And I was like, I cannot believe how relevant this is. And so on one hand, I understand it's, it is it is a baby of yours that you want to protect. But the other time, like, my God, these the people who made this show, and it was uh, the guy for, who did Lost. You Damon know, Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, right. Clearly yeah. loved this property, but right. clearly was like, how is this relevant to right now? in a way that maybe the movie wasn't or the animated uh, whatever they, they did like the animated uh, adaptation of the comic book with the right. emotion. And, and I thought it was such a wonderful bold and they did something along the lines of what you just described. It's like they trusted the original story, but their choice was they trusted it enough that they went a very different direction with it. But I thought they kept the spirit of that, everything great about that series intact yeah, Alan Moore hated it, and he wanted nothing to do with it, no part of it. Wow! And it was kind of like almost like what you just described, but like the almost like the dark side of it, like Neil Gaiman respecting yeah. what he did as twenty eight, appreciating people trying to capture that versus Alan Moore, who's just like I don't know. I mean, feeling like no, no, no one should ever touch this. I it was perfect as is. Leave it alone. Yeah, or, yeah, or, or I, hating I, The Shining when it came out. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Stephen King. Stephen, Stephen King. King Stephen King likes the uh, TV version with Stephen Weber in Wait. the uh, in the Jack Nicholson role. Yeah, so it should have been Tony Shalhoub. If you're going to do anyone from I mean, Wings, <laughs> <laughs> Tony Shalhoub's the clear winner of that. Derby. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, uh, you know, you, you could have also uh, uh, Sandman. I can't. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Yes. <laughs> Different Sandman. Uh <laughs> callback. But uh, yeah, you know, that's true. Hey, what if Thomas Hayden Church had played this Sandman? Because he already played the Marvel Sandman, and they're just like, yeah, eh. close enough. Only um, he played as his character from sideways. I, I think that yeah, right. I think that the difference is that Neil Gaiman was a producer and involved in the series. Uh sure. so uh, I think that that's important when you get to do that, you know, which and I shows think... how respectful they were. Yeah, because I think a lot of these adaptations, Rings of Power is coming to mind, especially of like not taking the original artist in consideration of like to adapt something without you don't. It's not that, that you need permission, but without their or their blessing, but without their 
what made it special in the first place. And, and without that vision, I think is a, a is, it's sad when that happens, but also, you know, Alan Moore wouldn't pro- probably wouldn't have approved of what the Watchmen did. And the Watchmen was probably yeah. better for it. And it's like, right, right, right. yeah, I think that uh, if you bring the creator on board after you've developed your vision and then you're able to work together, I think that's fine. And when the creator stands in the way of what your vision is, that is where you get into a problem. Uh, There's you know. also something about the concept of the endless having an effect on this. Yeah. Of 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 what what Eric brought up of time is is part of this is that time grows and and you learn and you adjust and you know it doesn't get stuck. So I don't think Neil Gaiman is is that type of artist creating something that is timeless or and or or jumping in and out of of different times or jumping in and out of dreams to have it be stuck as one thing when yeah. the characters grow with time. So I feel like that as a concept was a huge um foundation point for this the growth of the series. Yeah. And you know as we're sort of talking and and, and it's so hard to tie up because there's so much more there's a series to watch i feel like of all the entries we've done in geekscape book club and we've only really done it for a few months i think this is the one where i'd be the most inclined to do a sequel to do volume two you know it's not issues uh it's not issues 21 through 40 it's uh there's a some standalone stories that get inserted in there so but it's a it's basically the amount the same amount of content so to kind of come back, having all watched every episode of the show and then reading the next batch of stories, seeing how they both develop, uh, I think that would be, you know, that'd be worth doing maybe sometime in uh, 2023, uh, because uh, I do yeah. have plans for uh, what we're going to do the next couple of months. Uh, next month, November for Geekscape Book Club, uh, we'll do it somewhere right before Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, to tie into the uh, the latest uh, DC movie, uh, the the book that I have selected uh, upon recommendations is uh, Black Adam: The Dark Age, which is a very specific uh, story that he's looking to do. And um, I look, I saw the Black Adam movie, and what I'll say is like it's a, I did too. It's a, it's a superhero movie with The Rock. Somebody who walked in there wanted something different than what was in that movie. I I don't know why because I was like, oh, that was fun. And there's, and I'll just say, Doctor Fate is the best character in that movie. Doctor Fate's the shit. I also here's great acting back in the day. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan as Doctor Fate. The usage of Doctor Fate is amazing. Uh, I might actually do a Doctor Fate entry in the book club at some point because of how much I liked him in in this movie. Yeah, what were you going to say? Well, I watched it last night, and the more I talked about it, the more I enjoyed it. Yeah, Which it might is usually be one of the... like you talk yourself out of liking movies. Yeah. And I was expecting it to, to like, oh, it's a fun action movie with The Rock. And that's what I was expecting. But the I, more look, I talked about it, I have an entire dissertation on why this movie is better than people think it is. It is yeah. ridiculous. I am the worst. I don't think it's bad. So you don't need to convince me. I think well, I'm, seeing good movies, you I'm seeing it at four o'clock today. Uh, right. Oh, my God. I think that, uh, you know, look, I remember the first time I saw Reservoir Dogs with the kids and somebody was like, what do you think? And I was like, I got to think about it. I think those are the best movies where you can't really, you can't say for sure. Like, you know, look, there's a movie that when I saw Rob Zombie's The Monsters, I knew right away that was garbage. Right. <laughs> uh, when I saw Don't Worry Darling, I knew that wasn't good. When I saw Halloween Ends, I knew that oh, wasn't I, good. Oh, by the way, I saw that one. Better than Halloween Kills, but that is saying absolutely oh, nothing. So, uh, so but anyway, 
So uh, yeah, Black Adam, I think that uh, we can talk about that as a film when we talk about the uh, the book next month. And uh, we've hopefully got big plans for De- December. Our book will be a Black Panther story, which we'll talk about next month. And uh, hopefully there'll be a very unique way where people can interact with us uh, while Yay. we do that episode. But we'll talk about that next month when things are all aligned. Uh, well, thank you uh, to both Eric and Kate and to uh, everyone who's enjoying this. Uh, let us know if you're uh, interested in more Sandman. I think we're doing it anyway. The cat is interested. The cat is dreaming about it now. What's the cat's name? I keep just calling it the cat. It's her. His name is Link. Link. Oh, that's right. I just forgot the link. Um, but uh, and any comments you have, uh, you can always uh, reach me on social media at Christian DMZ, or you can find the uh, YouTube version of this show and leave uh, comments there. Uh, to keep in touch with our other hosts, though, Kate, where can people find you? And what is something that you've worked on recently that people will be able to find very soon? <laughs> You can find me at Cornellable, C-O-R-N-E-L-L-A-B-L-E on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Um, I do not tweet, but I have one. And um, you can also find uh, me at Geekscape, the Geekscape Network. We do the Final Frontier podcast, which will be coming up very soon. Because you can also find me at Uncanny Film on Instagram and on Facebook. I There is a short film. By Ro- for about Rogue and Gambit, two iconic and lovely X-Men characters that takes place after a four-issue comic book run from 1995. And that should be coming out beginning of November. So uh, follow Uncanny Film for all the updates and behind-the-scenes uh, info, the scoop. Yeah. And Eric, where can people find you? Well, uh, I'm known as Unholy Eric, and you can find me at Count Eric Connor over on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, the documentary I help produce, Other Voices, is now available on Amazon Prime for free with the low price of your Amazon Prime subscription. So if $5 scared you off from renting it, now you have fewer. It absolutely did. The $5 definitely scared me off. The problem is now I'm going to have to not do shows with you for a while because every time you mention it, it's a reminder of like, I have no excuse for having not watched this. My excuse is going to be I'm finishing Sandman next, but then I will get to other voices. But well, well, Sandman, uh, but, Sandman, you're finished out. So now it's Black Adam. And well, no, is- well, no, 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 no. Sandman, I have to watch this. The TV oh, oh so I see. Okay. that'll be my TV time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, about Neil Gaiman today, uh, October 23rd. I did reference that uh, he wrote two episodes of Doctor Who, The Doctor's Wife and Nightmare in Silver. I promote those because uh, today is for fans of that show. It's, uh, you know, only really happened 12 times before, but it is a regeneration day where the, uh, the next actor uh, will be uh, introduced to us sort yep. of. With David Tennant, I think, uh, slipped in the middle as well. So we'll see yep. how that all unfolds. But those are always very big days. So uh, always a great time to uh, revisit and, uh, you know, uh, some of some of Neil's other work. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. Please subscribe to my Blackcast YouTube channel, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, where you will find the show that uh, I do very regularly with both of uh, these delightful humans. And I'm sorry, Link, you have been on, but you uh, have not weighed in on She-Hulk. Marvel Movie Talk, you can find it there. And the titular 
Black Cast Podcast, all there. And uh, please subscribe to this podcast uh, through Geekscape and all the great Geekscape content. Thanks to Jonathan, who was aghast that I hadn't uh, already read Sandman, but he does understand that that's the concept of the show, is that I know I should have read it already. And now I have, and so now he doesn't have to talk down to me in the same way. But congratulations to uh, he and Heidi for getting... Mazel Tov! But uh, we'll be back next week. No, next month to talk Black Adam. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. I'll make sure to get that date out there. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we will uh, we'll see you next month. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.